When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey out there, rock and roll fans. Welcome to the 47th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded here in central London, just off Abbey Road. We thank you all for tuning in lately. We've had a great run here. We've had a lot of great downloads around some of the stuff we've been doing recently with the Kurt Angelides interview. He's a great photographer who has a book on the Rolling Stones out called Go For Broke Volume 1. It was a fun interview with him. We've had many, many downloads and a lot of interaction on Twitter on our Steve Hackett Live review. And there's still a couple of shows left for you to see here in the UK. And of course, he's going to be touring in Australia and Europe and the USA next year. So if he's on your schedule, please go ahead and check that one out. Had a great time talking with Neil from Def Lep Pod on our Hysteria episode. And he even featured Jackson on episode number 16, the Rocket episode, which is out now. And if you haven't heard Def Lep Pod and you like Def Leppard, I highly encourage you to go check that out as the new one is as good as ever. He goes very in-depth, has some incredible knowledge on Def Leppard. And of course, Jackson is featured on there. You can maybe even hear me chiming in with a wow. Once in a while on that. Now this week, we're taking a little bit of a turn here. We like reviewing classic albums, and as you may know, our 50th episode is coming up here soon, so we decided to review a few albums that are enjoying their 50th year. Like with Led Zeppelin IV last week, this week we do one that's maybe a little out of our wheelhouse, but is a classic record and one that I've owned for a long time, and that's Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Came out in May of 1971, and it was really a reaction of Marvin seeing what's going on around in America at that time, between the Vietnam War, all the racial inequality and unrest. And he was an early environmentalist. In fact, the big hit, Mercy, Mercy Me, The Ecology, was about the environment, protecting the environment, and what's happening around him. Usually we don't get political on this show, and that's not really our intention this time. But it shows us that this beautiful music written by Martin and a host of other very talented people and recorded in a song cycle style, so there's no real break between songs, there's no fade down and then starting of a new song. It all kind of weaves into one big side of an album. Everything he's talking about here as far as social inequality, economic inequality, environmental protection, is all stuff that's really happening around us right now. It's the biggest thing on the news almost every day, and this is something that was recorded 50 years ago. So it's not something that ever really got resolved. In fact, it kind of got just kind of ignored or painted over, and that's why I think things are the way they are here today. So we're going to take a look at this extraordinary music and what was going on with Marvin Gaye at the time, kind of a troubled and tragic figure in the history of rock and roll and soul, R&B, however you want to classify Marvin. He's just an incredibly talented man who was taken from us too soon. Now for housekeeping, you can follow us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72 on Twitter. And we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us a DM or a tweet. Let us know what you're listening to, what you would like us to review on the show, be it an album, a band, or a concert maybe coming up. And if you're enjoying the show, hey, give us a good review somewhere so we could find more great listeners like you. We see you from all over the world. We've been in 73 countries at this point. We see you in Saskatchewan out there downloading some episodes. We appreciate you. We'd love to hear from you. Who are you? What do you think about the show? How can we make it better? What do you like? What do you not like? What do you want to hear from us in the future? So we're going back to a polarizing time, but one that's not all that different from the one we're living in right now. As children of the 80s, it was kind of the land of milk and honey for me and Jackson being suburban white kids. But this is the most turbulent geopolitical social time of our lives, and it mimics a lot of what Marvin Gaye was holding up to the mirror when he made What's Going On 
back in the early 70s. So take a trip with us back in time to a time that's a lot like what we're living in right now with Marvin Gaye's What's Going On? right here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So I know that we're not real big into soul music, although my parents listened to a lot of the old school Motown back in the day. They listened to like the happy, danceable Motown songs. So like Marvin Gaye's What's Going On wasn't really necessarily in their wheelhouse. Heard it through the grapevine might have been. But obviously this song, this album, has a bit of a protest feel to it. Not even just a bit. I mean, that's kind of what it's all about. So maybe it didn't register with everybody with every white family in suburbia. But this is an all-time classic, man. I mean, we don't do a lot of soul stuff. We're not going to. We're rock and roll guys. But I don't know. I just felt like given the times that we live in now versus what Marvin Marvin was singing about 50 years ago, and it turned 50 this May, this record. I don't know, I just thought it was a good time to re-listen to this, because it's something I picked up maybe not quite 20 years ago, when I was in the whole, I love rock and roll, I need something a little different, right? You can't just listen to hard rock and roll all the time, you gotta mix it up a little bit. And I just remember thinking, you know, Marvin Gaye's awesome, but let's get, if I get Let's Get It On, that's too much. Like, I put that on when the cheeks come over, like, I know what you're up to, mister. But if I put on this one, it's like, look, hey, this is great, great soul music. And it kind of comes from a time in America that we need to understand better. It was not easy times for anybody back then. It's a lot of stuff going on. And ironically, a lot of it is really still going on today. Yeah, to me, the listening to this, because I've listened to this record in the past, but just, just in passing, like not really trying to dig into it. So this was really kind of the first time that I got my hands around the material and it really is a wolf in sheep's clothing Mm -hmm. because you can listen to it just on the top just let it float through your head it's very easy to listen to the melodies are fantastic the singing is top notch but when you get into the lyrics it will cut you in half and you're right a lot of the stuff that I was listening to I'm like wow in 50 years we're still dealing with exactly the same stuff and I wondered how if Marvin were still alive today how he would feel about all this or would he just say that there's nothing I can do? I mean, obviously, we're still just beating this into the ground. And I was wondering also, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall if the whole pitch meeting with Barry Gordy, with him saying, you are out of your mind, we're not doing this. Out of your mind. Yeah. It says on the front of the building, I don't know if you know this or not, Barry, but it says Hitsville, USA. It doesn't say we're here for your cause, USA. I don't want to hear this crap. I want to hear I'm in love with my baby and she loves me or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, he took a big risk doing this. I think at one point in time he said to he said to Barry Gordy, either you do this or I'm never recording another record for you again. So it worked out because it was a huge hit record and it delivered his message. But yeah, it, you could really miss a lot of 
of this if you don't really listen to what he's saying. No, it's incredibly deep and very important for the times that were going on, especially for black people in America. And yeah, going to Barry Gordy, who's not only your boss and the director and founder of Motown, he's also your father-in-law, right? Yeah. And, and your marriage isn't quite working out, and you know that, and Marvin is having some depression issues. He almost attempted suicide, and Barry Gordy's dad, his, his grandfather-in-law, basically saved Marvin's life. It saved him from, from shooting himself. He had a gun, and, and a darn near took his own life. So he was going through some troubled times of his own. Plus, you go through all the civil rights unrest and everything happening in America, the death of Martin Luther King in 68, and then the fact that his brother was in the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. and, and he's sending letters home talking about those horrible shit that's going down in Vietnam and just making him realize, God, we got it tough over here. People are denying us our basic human rights, or we could get shipped halfway around the world to a place where we would never go, have never been, and go die in the jungle over there. You got to understand for, for folks in the UK don't realize, at this time, maybe 13% of the American populace was black. And it's, it's kind of close to that today. That's about one in eight people. Whereas in the Vietnam War, like 32% of the troops there were black, which is like one in three. So there's a lot of yeah. racial disparity going on there. I think it was justified by the fact that there was a deferment if you were in college. So if you were a you know, well-to-do or middle-class white kid who could get into college, then you wouldn't have to go to Vietnam. But if, oh, you're poor, you're from the city, yeah, you've got to go. Yeah, and that was a, that was a huge deal because it, it divided the country pretty heavily between those who had who could possibly get out of it and those who could not and yet that ended up being poor and black people and uh, my hometown hero muhammad yep. ali obviously was part of this well because he got drafted into the army uh, got drafted at the old armory which is now the louisville gardens which is the site of my first real big rock and roll concert, R.E.M., back in, was it 88, 89 for the Green Tour? And then obviously that, you know, he was, Muhammad was becoming more of a social and civil rights activist. But then once they said, you're going to go to Vietnam, he said, no, I'm not going to go over there and kill other poor people. No Viet Cong ever called me the N-word. And then they stripped him of his title because he refused to go. You know, suddenly he's a lightning uh, rod, right, for, for all these things. And that's all it's what's happening at the end of the 60s and the beginning of the 70s. And Marvin's just kind of looking at all this, taking all this in. It's like, I can't just sing baby, baby songs. I just can't sing love songs. I got to say something to my people, for my people, about my people. And that's where the genesis of this record really came together. Right. And, and it's, it's interesting because when you listen to the song, What's Going On? You know, you think, oh, hey, yeah, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's no, it's what's going on. Like, what is going on here? What on I, I don't earth even, is I don't going even on? recognize this. And I think that was part of his brother's thing too, is coming back from Vietnam and then saying, I don't even recognize this place anymore. I don't know who these people are. I don't know what happened in the time that I was gone. But it's it's totally different now. And one of the things that I was looking at right off the bat was the album cover. If you just if you look at it, it's a picture of Gay. Mm -hmm. And now he's got his beard. Mm -hmm. He ditched the clean cut look that he had had back in in his original days. And he's just, you can tell, like, he's got a jacket on, so it looks like it's, is it cold? Is it rainy? And he's just kind of staring off, like, I, I don't, I, somebody help me figure this out. I don't know what's happening here. Yeah, this is just a that very picture of a happy pop star, right? This is no. someone who's been around the block at this point. He's got troubles on his mind. And this is some heavy shit we're dealing with, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that kind of just kind of ties the whole thing thing together when you you kind of know maybe what you're getting yourself into with this yeah he's he's not wearing because i guess the deal was that he used to always wear suits like you know nice tailored suits mm -hmm. and he kind of got away from that so yeah this is not the happy-go-lucky guy anymore this is a different person well and this is a guy who's been around you know for a while at this point i mean 1971 he had signed 10 years previously with barry gordy and motown this was his 11th record not including some duet records he made uh, with, with uh, you know, some of his uh, singing partners like... Terrell, Tammy Terrell. Tammy Terrell, right. They'd made a couple, yep. of, maybe three, I think. Yeah, she, and then she had died. She had a brain aneurysm, mm -hmm. and that really, that really hit him hard. And then she died, and then he's like, that's it, I'm not touring for a while. And the record that came out just before What's Going On... He refused to get out and promote that. He just stayed at home. He's like, that's it. I'm, I'm not touring for that. So he was probably already on the outs 
with Barry Goery and Motown because he didn't tour to promote his last record. Now he wants to do this protest record where he's like, Marvin, come on, you're, it's a step too far. That's not really what we do here. You want to turn people off. You've already had all this great crossover success. You make a concept protest album, you're going to lose all those suburbanites who are following you, and it's going to kill your career. Yeah, and, and it's going to be a, kind of a mark against Motown, maybe, because, I mean, yeah, we're, we're, not, we're not in that business. It was a crazy time in the United States history, and yeah, it just didn't seem like something that Gordy even wanted to get involved with. He, this was more pop music, and to your point before, we, he was talking about that his he was in a weird spot gay because not only was he doing this but yet yeah, his marriage was going down the toilet he felt like he was being kind of manipulated in right. his career and yeah he was just not in a good place coming into this yeah he's like he's being manipulated by anna his wife he's being manipulated by barry he's barry's boy his like, boss yeah you know, his boss and his father-in-law and he's like no i got a man i think for, i'm a man i think for myself you know I, I can do my own concepts i can do my own stuff so it, it took him a while to do it i mean you know back then they used to kind of crank albums out in just a few months but in uh, from june to, to september of of 1970, he did some recording, a lot with the Funk Brothers, but also brought in some of his own folks to record this stuff. And he did create the song, What's Going On? Played it for Barry, and Barry's like, no, 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 that's that's not it. That's not what we're doing. So in protest to Barry, he basically said, well, fine, if, if you don't want the song, then I'm not going to record the rest of it. You can come tell me when you've changed your mind, which eventually happened. There's a little bit of a story there, too. Right. Right. I, th I guess that he, they, somebody at Motown released the single right. and it exploded. And then I guess Gordy went back and said, oh, <laughs> I thought it was a great idea. What are you talking about? So, I mean, I think that was the thing that really turned the tide in Gay's favor was that it was a huge commercial success. So once that happened, then it was like, yeah, well, you need to put the rest of this out. Obviously, we need to strike while the iron's hot. Yeah, so they, they got that out of the spring of 71, or it may have even been before that. It was in January, maybe, 71. They got the single out. They sold the first 100,000 copies in no time, quickly sold another 100,000. By the end of the year, it had sold more than 2 million copies, just the single. So, of course, Barry's like, oh, yeah, let's, you know, let's go ahead and put it together. We'll just we'll get it together, just get it done by the end of March, and, and no problem, buddy. Yeah, it's, it's funny how things have changed. Of course, Barry at this point was now living on L.A. He kind of relocated to the West Coast. Yes, there's still... The recording studio in, in Hitsville is still there in Detroit, the famous building. But business operations had moved to the West Coast at that point, And that's where they did some more recording out there. But, I mean, God bless him for doing it. And he didn't write it on his own. Obi Benson, Ronaldo Obi Benson, who's with the Four Tops, he had been in Berkeley in 69. May 15, 69, they go by a, an anti-war protest on their bus and they see kids getting beaten by the police, you know? So it's like, God, you stay home and you protest the war, you get beaten by the police. You go to war and you die. Uh, you know, these are the two options, it seems, for young people today. And he was like, what's going on? Of course, once the song was written with him and, and Al Cleveland, his bandmates were like, whoa, that's that's not a Four Tops song, man. We are not doing that. that that's for sure, you know. So then he got together with Marvin's like, Marvin's, can I change a little bit, get a writing credit on it? He said, sure, and, and kind of made it its own. And it's a cool way to start off the album where it's like you hear people out on the street talking to each other. Hey, man, what's, hey, what's happening, brother? Hey, what's going on? It's not just straight up Motown. Here's the tune. Here's the song. Here's the chorus. Two and a half minutes. It's very danceable. You're actually talking about what's going on in society, and it's not picture perfect holding up the mirror to society like look at what's going on but let's make some beautiful music around it well what i liked about the the first track and the beginning of the first track with that kind of spoken word intro it really felt to me like you were kind of being welcomed into the it was like it was like you were going to a party or something and they're hey they're your friends we're, we're going to start on this journey down through this record but it's like you're it, it's like you're at somebody's house or something and they're going to put this on for you so it's a very welcoming way we're going to hit you with some heavy stuff we're going to yeah. welcome you in first and then gut punch you here in just a moment talk about 
picket line, picket signs. Don't punish me with brutality. People are fighting for freedoms. The Black Panthers were kind of promoted by the white media as a militant organization. And yes, some of them were carrying weapons and wanted to defend themselves. But I remember seeing a documentary on them and they're busy providing breakfast and lunches for black children in the inner cities. I'm like, those aren't militant people. Those are social activists, if you ask me. Sometimes the established white people didn't really like what they were saying or how they were saying it. And maybe didn't like the way some of them dressed or wore their hair. Because it's, oh, it's different. Oh, no. Change can't happen in America. No, never. That's nonsense. And this is a reflection to show what's happening politically, socially in America and the need for black people to have their voices heard. Yeah, and just realize that, yeah, you're right. It it was changing. People were not going to accept the status quo anymore. They weren't going to accept the, well, this is just how it is. You know, you've got one class of people here and one class of people here, and that's just how it happens. So to hear this from a point of view that's not mine was interesting because, I mean, I'm, I'm too young to remember any of this other than reading about it. So I can only imagine what it was like to go through this. And back to what you were saying about going to war, you know, you either protested, you go to war, but then if you went to war and you were lucky enough to come back, now it's like, well, you're a piece of garbage because you went over there. Well, I just can't win. Then this is horrible yeah. to think that, you know, people were treated like that. It's a good point, Jackson, because we did have a draft back then. And many Mm -hmm. people were drafted into the armed services to fight in Vietnam and to serve other places around the globe while most of our resources, at least our army ground type resources, were in Vietnam. So, yeah, for Marvin's brother to be drafted up out of the 60s when people are kind of partying, getting along, you know, there's some psychedelia going on. Yes, the, the civil rights movement is gaining some momentum. And then he comes back after a number of years. And, yeah, now there's blood in the streets. There's fires going on. There's cops beating on kids. And nowadays, if you come back from war, oh, you're regarded as a hero. But that was a very unpopular war. So yeah, you would come home, you'd see all these horrible, terrible things in war, and then people are spitting on you, calling you a baby killer. Yeah. Just because you served your country and didn't ask to. Now, a lot of people did sign up to go, but a lot of people, especially the inner city people, did not. Right. Because why would you? Yeah. So, So you've got the, you're wrestling with the what you did what you saw and you know you think well oh, at least i'll come back and everything will be normal again and nope wrong answer and and i think it's it's good that this record came out because it was somebody who wasn't going to be quiet like when i read about this and and thought what a career ender this could have been for marvin gay right. i mean if this hadn't taken off He'd, have, he'd probably been done. Gordy would have just said to him, you're, you're, don't ever tell me what to do. Don't push me around. So the fact that it was a hit made, it kind of propelled him forward to, to make, I mean, I'm looking on here and they're saying this is the, you know, uh, Rolling Stone is rating this as the number one album to ever come out. And it's, it's just, like I said before, you could, you could kind of float along on the top of this thing and just listen to the music and not really hear what he's saying. But the more that you hear it, the more you think, yeah, he really had his finger on the pulse of what was going on at that time. Really did. And the, the album itself has is what they kind of call a song cycle in that each song kind of flows into the next. There's not like a break between songs. Or a, yep. you know, a chorus fade out and then start up the next one. They all kind of run together. I remember Rolling Stone did their 500 greatest albums maybe 20 years ago or 25 or something like that. And The Clash's London Calling was number one. And I think Marvin Gaye's What's Going On was maybe number six or something like that. And in 2020, they decided to let's revamp the list, right? Because there may be a few new albums we could stick in there. In retrospect, maybe some albums have gone up and down. And this is one that was propelled up. And, you know, I got to tell you, in the wake of George Floyd or Breonna Taylor from my hometown in Louisville, this album is more poignant, makes more sense than ever. You know, Mother, There's Far Too Many Of You Crying, Brother, There's Far Too Many Of You Dying. It hasn't changed that much. Now, in 2003 or whenever it was that I bought this, I remember thinking, this is an amazing album. It, it's the music is, is top notch, but it kind of reflects on a time in society where the stakes were high, where, you know, the American dream was kind of crumbling for a lot of people. At least things aren't like that now. Not that race relations were perfect in 2003, but society wasn't crumbling back then. And I feel like in the last couple of years, due to some political stuff, 
due to some pandemic stuff uh, and due to a lot of racial and, and civic stuff going, social stuff going on. This is, this time that we've lived in Jackson rivals that late 60s, early 70s period more than any other time in our lives. Unfortunately, yeah, we're, we're right back to where we were 50 years ago for a lot of these things. Obviously, we didn't fix anything. We just kind of put some Band-Aids on it. Right. And then the Band-Aids get ripped off and people say, oh, yeah, we're still, I mean, like you said, there's far too many. I mean, it, there's a line in it talking about it's, it's at the end of the, of the record. Crime is increasing. Trigger happy policing. Sound familiar? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's uh that that's intense to, to think that he really I, I guess what I was really thinking about when he was writing this record is this wasn't a this wasn't something that he felt that he it was something that he felt he had to do. Mm-hmm. He had to tell the story. So I can only imagine what he was feeling writing this. Like, how do you get this message across? How do you get these images and themes and put them in a way where people can can embrace and digest them publicly, not just in the community that he was talking about? Right, yeah, because I, I do think this did very well uh, with Soul Radio, Soul mm-hmm. Record Stores and things like that. But you know, it, it did get into the suburbs because he had done some crossover hits. And to get the suburbanites who don't know anything about the Watts riots, you know, who don't know anything about the Black Panthers other than I see them on TV and the police are after them, don't really get that one in eight people in the country, they can't, they don't start at the starting line, basically, right? You know, right. they don't have the same opportunities. They don't have the same advantages. Say, so, oh, well, they're just as free as we are. Yeah, not, not, not true. Yeah. And to do it with such extraordinary music, the musicianship on this is incredible. And to have that song cycle where it just kind of flows from one to the other, so there's no really break. It's, it's all kind of one big orchestral statement. And I, I think there's some great playing on it. James Jamerson, who, who's the bass player on so many Motown hits, he's, he's on most of the songs, not everyone. And Bob Babbitt was on some of them. But apparently he was... Uh, he came into the sessions and he'd been drinking that day, so sometimes he had a hard time sitting on his stool to, to play his bass. But great bass. I mean, you can pick out all sorts of little things in here. The flute, the different orchestral parts. I love the bass. And the guitar kind of got that that kind of Motown chug to it. Very Isaac Hayes, or, you know, stuff that Nile Rodgers kind of did a little bit of later in that 70s decade, especially on Mercy, Mercy Me. Jamming on that guitar, I'm like, this is classic great music and it's motown but it's special it's it's not the supremes it's it's not you know four guys singing vocals are great but all the music is special it's extraordinary yeah and and the way that they did this it makes it easy to listen to the whole record start to finish like because you're right there really is no break like they, they they segue from one to another but there are a couple of these where it's hard to if you're just if you're not watching it on the you know computer tick away if you're just listening you if you have a hard time telling what when you go from one to another it's real smooth and now you're into the next track so yeah there is no hard stop even the singles they flow very well together so yeah it, it lends itself to just playing it all the way through which is exactly how i think he wanted you to experience this i think so yeah and versus say protests that from our generation in the 80s you kind of got to that rap in your face kind of stuff, yeah. like protesting it. This was more like he, he's pointing out humanity at its most charitable versus let's paint pictures of all this bleakness and, and how there's no hope. Although you're seeing there's a lot of nasty stuff going on in the world, it still comes from a voice of hope. Like, let's get it together. Let's find a way through this. Let's support each other and, and figure it out. Versus, ah, we're all screwed and we always have been and now well, the end is nigh. That's not really what I got from this record. I, I, I come out of it feeling hopeful. Yeah, and, and what, I, what I like is the fact that if you're going to go through this kind of, through the different tracks, you get to number four, Save the Children. Mm-hmm. And by that point in time, I mean, we, you've, you've been, been around, you've been beaten up here. You know, we've, we've gone through social unrest, we've gone through drug addiction, now we've got the kids. Mm-hmm. But then he gets to God is love. And then he's saying, might look bad. Here's what we need to do. Here's the path we need to be on. Yeah, and so that, to your point, yeah, you kind of, it's a kind of a nice respite in the middle of saying it's not all bad. It can be better. We just need to try. Yeah, and the, the transition from what's going on the title track was, yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end, it's a beautiful, pretty light song about heavy stuff, but he's delivering to it in his lighter voice, you know? He had a, such an amazing, soulful voice. He was so good. But then to go to What's Happening, Brother, yeah, it's really kind of dedicated to his brother, Frankie, who does come back from Vietnam. And yeah, he, that could be a big change going from you're a very young man making your way up in the 60s, then go through the horrors of war, come back, and it's pretty ugly out there in America. You're not going to be popular. You're not having an easy time finding a job. You're a black man on top of things. Ooh, it's rough out there. And it's really, what's happening, brother? What What is going on around here? It's like an honest question. What the hell is going on? What did I come back to? Right. Yeah, and, and it's it's kind of like the first one where it's like, it kind of fools you because it's like, oh, what's happening, brother? You know, yeah. like, you know, good to see you. What's going on? No, it's what's happening. Like, I really want to know what is going on here. I don't I don't recognize this place anymore coming back from Vietnam. Yeah. And if you're drafted straight up as an 18, 19-year-old, so you're straight out of high school, and you're playing ball, you're learning American history, that kind of thing, and, all right, what do I do with my life? And, okay, we got something for your life. You're going 10,000 miles away to kill people you've never met before. Okay, and then you do that two, three, four years you come back, you piece of shit, what did you do? What were you doing killing people for? It's like, they made me do it. You know, they, yeah. they forced me to. I didn't have a chance. I didn't have a college deferral. I had to go. And I come back, you won't give me a job. You spit in my face. You're suspect of me when I walk down the street. You know, what What in the world is going on? You know, what What happened to the American dream? Yeah, and, and I can't I can't imagine how you would deal with that as, as Marvin. You know, you're trying to explain this to your brother and then at the same time trying to understand what he went through that you really can't. I mean, you can hear stories or, you know, you could have read about it, seen it on TV, but you don't really know. And, and trying, to, trying to have that, trying to get that connection again between these two guys that basically were living in completely different worlds now. And, and how do we, how do we integrate them back into society? And again, you were talking about before when this guy left, he was already at a disadvantage, right? right? Socially, economically. So now you come back and it's even worse for being going to war. I got nothing out of that other than a hard time. And the place is going crazy over here. I don't like any of this. Right. Go right into flying high in the friendly sky. Um, uh-huh. which dealt with dependence on heroin, which was another problem that surfaced in the Vietnam War. A lot of GIs got into the horse over there uh, and brought it back with them. Not that it wasn't already in the American inner cities especially. But yeah, uh, so talking about that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm hooked my friend to the boy, boy being a reference to heroin, you know, who makes slaves out of men. Yeah going to the place where danger awaits like you know like it, it both in getting high but also like buying the drugs i mean right. you know you're not you know you can't buy that at the 7-eleven you've got to go to some nasty places deal with nasty people to get it but you have to have it yeah you not, have to yeah exactly well yeah you're hooked you can't do anything about it it's right. not like marijuana maybe you just go down to the street corner you could go to an old hippie you go to a college dorm to buy marijuana if that's what you really need but the heroin is yeah it's it's a lot dirtier and you know they they, they said that the the recording sessions were pretty light and chill because of all the marijuana there and i believe that if everyone was yep. doing heroin it wouldn't have been light and chill it would have been <laughs> horrible and ugly and the album would have been very different flying high yeah you figure it's about drugs but then you learn it's about heroin it's like ah oh, marvin i really hope you're not dabbling too much in that stuff but but to hear him but to hear again if you're not really listening you just hear him, you know, flying high and thought, oh, that's beautiful. You know, just the, the way his voice sounds and the, and the vocal delivery of it. But yeah, then, then you get underneath and it's it's very depressing. Yeah. So you're right. You know, first three songs are about civil and social unfairness and unrest. The Vietnam War and returning home from a very unpopular and horrible war. Drug addiction. But then you get to save the children. It's like we went through all this nasty stuff. Our one goal in life has got to be save the children. And there's the amazing part in there where he kind of speaks it. It's like spoken word. And then he'll sing, you know, in his incredible, beautiful voice back over the same thing. You know, it's like who really cares? Who's willing to try to save a world that's destined to die? Not quite that quick, spaced out. And with that amazing vocal talent of his around it, it's a beautiful song, but it's really important. The lyrics, the message is incredibly important and still important to this day. Yeah, that's what I had written down. It's almost like a poem. You know, like you said, it's spoken word. There isn't isn't really a lot of singing in the middle of it. And 
and everything kind of drops out where, you know, you have just a, there's a base going on that he's working on top of, but yeah, it, it is like a poem. And he's, it, I guess what he's trying to tell you is that just really listen to what I'm saying right now. Don't worry about the music. Mm-hmm. This is important. It is important. You know, and it's like, what do we go through all this for? What are we getting beaten in the streets for? What are we getting sent off to war for? Where are all these mamas crying about? It's like, well, we have to protect our kids. We mm-hmm. have to do something to ensure that the drugs, the civil unrest, the war, these things aren't going to rob our children of their childhood or rob us of our children. Uh, and of course, inner city kids still face so many challenges that the suburban kids do not in America. Song couldn't be any more important now than it is then. Mm, yeah, it, it just, yeah, that, that's a rough, uh, one through four is rough. It's just, it's taking you down and then, you know, you go into five and then we, we, we come, it, it's like you went down and now you're coming back up again. It's, it's lighter. The, the horns come back in and yeah, now he's, now he's trying to tell you, I'm, I, I gave you the bad news. Now here's some good news. Right. Here's the, something to look for, a way to go, the light to look for. Yeah, and God is Love, it's a short song. I mean, it's not even two minutes long. On the re-release or the the deluxe edition, they had a a version that's another minute longer. You know, so maybe it's getting a little closer to three minutes. But but you're right. I mean, this shows, you know, he's still a spiritual and religious man and still believes that love will conquer all and put your faith in God. Not all hope is lost. Not all hope is lost. And because it's so short, it's almost like it's the warm-up to Mercy, Mercy Me. It's... it's definitely a different song because when you get to Mercy, Mercy Me, the guitars do change, the rhythm does change a little bit, the tone of the song changes. Yes, there's a seg between them of a few seconds where it's kind of distinct and then it's, is it one or the other? And then it's, then it's definitely Mercy, Mercy Me. But Mercy, Mercy Me is an absolutely beautiful song, a huge hit. If you took it out of context, take it away from all the other pieces of this album and the statement it's trying to make. It's just a beautiful standalone song on its own. Mm-hmm. It can stand on its own two feet. And what I didn't really realize was it is an environmental song, which is way before, it's before Al Gore knew anything about the environment. This mm-hmm. is before you ever heard about anything about that on TV or in the news or anything like that. And it's a very emotional song for him. So it must have been something that he realized that we didn't. So not only pushing the boundaries and knowledge of what we see in the news, but even stuff that would portend for the future that we would eventually need to know more about. Right. And, and it, to me, it kind of one in six are kind of connected because it's it's the same. He's talking about something a little different, but it's the same thing. Again, you're talking about what's going on now with the, instead of the social, economical, now it's the, the earth. What are we doing here? What's happening? And I was thinking about what you were saying before. This was 71. If you took this and fast forwarded it 20 years to 91, it would have been somebody screaming at you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it would have been disgusting and, you know, heavy and, you know, we're killing the earth. Rah, 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 rah. But this is just so the, the message is so intense, but he delivers it in a package that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to me how he got those two things to go together so wonderfully. Yeah. I mean, it's even called Mercy, Mercy Me, The Ecology. I never knew it was called that. I thought it was just Mercy, Mercy Me. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah. I mean, I didn't until I bought it, you know, 18 years ago or whenever it was. Yeah. Uh, but I'm like, yeah, that's that makes it special, too. And the fact that that whole side was kind of just one big song in that it never ended. There was no fade out. There was no break. It was one great big song, a suite, if you will, which wasn't uncommon maybe for British prog rock bands in 1971. But for an American artist, a black Motown artist to do something like that, a concept album in a song cycle style. This is groundbreaking. This is way before Stevie Wonder did songs in the key to life or talking book. Right, right. And, and definitely this is what pointed them in that direction that you could do something like this. You could make a record that was musically top notch could deliver a message and could be commercially successful. So yeah, I, I definitely, I think if you were to, you know, stop Stevie Wonder in the street and ask him, he would say, yeah, this is what, this is, this started all of that. And so that, you listen to that side of that record. I only really had the CD, but that wraps up side one. If you listen to that in 1971, I don't know what would go through your head. What would you be thinking? And how different would it be if you were, you know, a black man from the inner city versus 
you know, someone like us, a suburbanite, suburbanite white boy, how different would the reactions be? And is it is it turning you on? Is it, you know, enlightening you? Are you just listening to how great the music is? Or do you dig deeper and say, wow, this is really heavy and important packaged in something that you could listen to on the radio? That That's the, that's the question. I, I like, I mean, sitting here in 2021, I'd like to think that I, I would have been the person that said, oh, wow, you know, what's, let me find out more. Let me let me get involved. Let me do something. But I, I don't know. I would hope so. It's just I think for a lot of white people back then, or, or even just not even white, but just suburban people that didn't have any kind of contact with being oppressed or being in the inner city. I don't know. Would you sit there and say, "Oh, it can't be that bad. You're making a big deal out of this"? Or I, I think there was just, people were just so out of touch mm-hmm. in the suburbs. They they had no idea, just no clue. I mean, again, from a thousand miles away, you know. Oh, yeah, I see something over there, but I, I think that most people just really didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. My wife's mother lived in Detroit at at about like the late sixties, early seventies, and oh, she's wow. she during the the race riots, and there were times where she couldn't go home. She had to find somewhere else because I mean this, the downtown Detroit was closed. Mm-hmm. So she lived through some of this as a small white person and so she has a much she has a much closer association with stuff like this and it really affected her but i think most people from the suburbs just didn't it was just something they they read about and and didn't really have a connection to so hopefully it would have affected me i I really hope that would have been the outcome of me listening to this in 1971 well i think that the music certainly would have would have affected you and as much as we like to understand if once you like something you want to get into it you want to understand it then you start to yeah. peel back some of the layers i don't think you could not be affected by it and and want to better understand the situation out there just on a musical note though i thought that the the sax riff which is by a, a wild bill moore it makes the song kind of at the end. Yeah. It really did. But then when you wind it up, that's not very Motown to me. But yeah. it's super, super cool and a great way to end that whole side of the record. Yeah, because even, you know, going back to what you're talking about with CDs, even though they want to make it like one continuous track, you, it, back then you did have to turn the record over. You right. were going to have to break this up at some point in time. So you're right. That was a good way to say, okay, time to get up off the Barca lounger mm-hmm. and flip over the uh, the LP. record on the hi-fi. Yeah, yeah. And so you, you start the next one, the second side with Right On, which is kind of a jam. It's, it's, I think it's over seven minutes and it's kind of got a little, it's almost got like a Latin beat to it almost, kind of thing, Latin influence funk on it. it. It really sounded like, like I don't know what you call the thing, but it's the, it's the you hold it in your hand and you run the piece of metal over, it makes that whick, whick, whick sound. It sounded a lot like, or in the spirit of that song, uh, Spill the Wine by War. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just, it like elements of that. And so yeah, it, it, that's a different, you haven't heard anything like that on the first side. So it goes with it, but it's also a different, now we're kind of veering off a little bit down a, down a road and yeah that i think what was the rest of those songs like three minutes and chain four minutes was save the children mm-hmm. so yeah definitely the longest track on it but it doesn't seem long when you listen to it no no it, it, it has a nice groove to it look all these songs have a nice groove to it the funk brothers they knew what they were doing how many hits did they all play on it was unbelievable so once they got it in the pocket, they were usually good to go. And these are great songs. Now, Marvin basically co-wrote all these songs with a lot of different people. What's going on? I'm sorry. Mercy, Mercy Me is the only solo credit that he has on the album. But he writes all the others with other people. And this one, it's I think they said it's it's kind of akin to the, the different rhythms or even akin to Gay's own divided soul. And you can hear him, if you let me, I will take you to live where love is king, and that true love can conquer hate every time. Again, these are positive messages. Dealing with heavy things, but these are positive messages to say we can get through this there is a way forward, surrounded by some incredible musicianship. Yeah, and, and the, uh, the the flute part on that, it's not, it, it just, it goes really well with this song. It's not on everything. Mm-hmm. It kind of fades in and out. And this, this one, it kind of takes center stage for a while and makes it 
kind of puts the, the cherry on top of this one. I agree. And the flute really kind of stands out there. You, the little Latin rhythm and flute and then Marvin's voice plus doing a little falsetto in there. Yeah. Seven minutes. It's a great jam. And of course, it, it transitions into Holy Holy, which is, again, kind of another gospel gospel-ish piece, somewhat akin to God is love. Again, coming back to how the Lord is our Savior kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I like, uh, again, like you said, this is kind of almost to me the continuation of God is love. We got to be holy, holy. Completely holy. Uh, yeah. He says, Jesus left a long time ago, said he'd be back, left us a book. We've got a lot to, uh, we've got a lot to learn. And then that's true today also. I mean, same thing. Yeah, we still have a lot to learn. That's that's for sure. And then the final track, Inner City Blues, in parentheses, Make Me Want to Holler. I like it. It's it's about poverty, basically. The, the, the troubles of growing up in the inner city, growing up black, growing up where they don't give you good education, that you don't have the opportunity for good jobs, and then you're discriminated against anyway. I, I thought it was it was it was nice, bluesy, funky song. Again, it's it's a little heavy, and it was a single from what I understand, making it I think I read that it was the first time that a male solo artist had had three top 10 hits huh oh, okay that wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me i think a lot of them were uh especially out of motown were the diana ross the mm-hmm. the female girl groups that had all the, a lot of the hits or maybe a band you know a full band might yeah, have yeah, yeah, three yeah. top 10 hits but a male solo artist i guess it was the first time that that happened and obviously you know there's a couple different charts there's kind of the mainstream top 100 chart and then there's the soul chart I think he did very, very well in the soul charts, but obviously did well enough in the mainstream as well. Yeah, and and for me, the the transition, you know, holy, holy is the is kind of the nice point in the right direction. You know, we can do this. We all need to get together. And then inner city blues is like I'm slapping you back in the face again and saying, oh, by the way, let's get back to what's happening on the streets now, and mm-hmm. it's pretty terrible. So the way to kind of just put the exclamation point on the end of this one. That's right. That's right. And and it's only 35, 36 minutes, not not a real long album, but clearly a classic. I mean, if you look at the accolades, you mentioned that Rolling Stone put it as the top top number 1 album ever. It's been on a hundred different lists as far as mm. the greatest of the 70s, greatest soul album, you know, top 200 of all time top 500, top whatever. It is a watershed moment, really kind of the first concept album in R&B land, which obviously led others to to do more of it in the future. I'm kind of thinking a little bit of Stevie Wonder, but yeah, it kind of opened the door. And to use his voice to protest against all the nasty stuff going on, but it's not mean-sounding music. It's soulful, it's beautiful, pretty you could even say some of these are like ballads, but gets his point across instead of with the hammer. Mm-hmm. He, he kind of offers it, you know, with the peace flag. It's like, there's a way out of this. We can fix this. May not be easy. Here's what we need to focus on. This is how we do it. And I wonder too now, and, and I'm just I'm just talking off the top of my head. I haven't done any research on this. So did Gay holding his ground against Barry Gordy, did he kind of pave the way too for people to say, no, wait a minute. I can do what I want to do. I can have maybe contracts that are a little better. Because I know Stevie Wonder signed some pretty heavy-duty contracts with Motown over the years. Was this the roadmap to not only do what you want to do musically, but to kind of take ownership of your career and say, this is what I want to do and I want to be, instead of just being told what to do, I want to be an actual artist and not just a performer. Right, yeah, because he he had to fit the mold. You know, when you first start off, he's 20, 21 years old, whatever he is. Oh, you're going to work with me, Mr. Barry Gordy? Okay, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Whatever songs you want, clean shaven, absolutely. Tight haircut, you bet. Sharp suit, of course. And then, you know, how he's grown up. It's like, you know, yeah, I'm married. It's not working out. I see things in the world that I don't like. I want to have a beard. You know, wear a leather jacket. Maybe wear a sweater or a sweatsuit. I don't need to be Mr. I want to, yeah, I want to change with the times. Exactly. Yeah, I want to reflect the differences from where where you started. Yeah, yeah, I'm not 20 anymore. My eyes are open now. I'm I'm a man. I want to be a man in this world. Yeah, the Beatles weren't stuck looking the way they did when they recorded I Want to Hold Your Hand. You know, just a few years later, they looked very different. So, I mean, it's 10 years later. Is he supposed to be the exact same? Of course not. He's a grown man. He gets to evolve. And this is what he wanted to do. And yeah, going against Barry as the boss, going against Barry as your father-in-law probably wasn't easy. But it's like, look, I've been through addiction. 
I've been suicidal. I got a brother who saw horrors in the war. I can't just sing happy malt shop songs. I got to reflect what's going on in my world back to my people. And obviously it sold millions of copies around the world. It continues to be beloved to this day. Yeah, and just just learning more about, I mean, I, I knew kind of the, the skeleton outline of his life, but just kind of doing a little more research for, for this episode to see kind of what he went through his whole life and how it ended. And it, it's just, it's a, it's a tragic story of somebody who, you really know, they, they imagine you've got everything that you wanted. I want to be rich. I want to be famous. I want to have this same career, but it really turns out a lot of ways to be awful. I, you know, like you said, he struggled with drug addiction. He had some major league tax problems mm-hmm. from what I understood, both in the U S and over in Europe. You know, he was living in, in England for a while and, and maybe France, I think. And he owed money there and <laughs> he owed money here and ended up moving back in with his parents for a while because he was just was fed up. And then to be, I guess, murdered by his father but it, it was he was trying to break up an argument between his parents and that's how it and at the beginning of his life too i guess his father was a real hard ass like just just didn't give him any space and just kind of physically was abusive to him just really kind of a tragic figure yeah of, of, he really yeah. is a, a tragic figure of rock and, and soul yeah absolutely you know at this time when he's recording this he had not had a child yet. I don't think Anna could have children. They had adopted Anna's niece because Mm -hmm. her sister had had her when she was 16 or something like that. So that was their first child, but they couldn't have children, I don't think. And then shortly after he extricated himself from his marriage with, uh, with Anna, he got married again and he had a couple kids, one of whom Nona is about our age and she is a super fox. She is so beautiful. But then of course that marriage by the end of the 70s had dissolved as well. So mm-hmm. then you get to the end of the 70s, you've had a lot of tax issues. If you don't think getting a divorce is expensive, you've never done it. <laughs> and, uh, and and he got divorced twice in that decade. And of course music had changed by the end of the 70s. You know, the punk thing was happening and rock and the disco thing. And he's not necessarily a disco guy, but I guess you and I, as kids, when we first started getting music in 1982, 83, the days of MTV, Sexual Healing was his big comeback kind of song, right? Right. But he wasn't big for us because, you know, in 1983, we're 10, and Sexual Healing, we don't even really know what that is. <laughs> you know, sex is not something I know a lot about when I'm 10 years old. Now I'm 48, I still don't know that much about it. <laughs> But I know what it is. I, I can't know. I don't know if I can really say that when I was 10. And so I'm like, yeah, that song's kind of cool, groovy. But I don't really know what he's talking about. And Duran Duran's the next song, so I'm going to like that more anyway. That speaks to the 10-year-old me better. And then, obviously, I didn't really know his other back catalog at that point. Shortly thereafter that, yeah, he broke up a fight between his mom and dad. And his dad shot him twice in the middle of the day at, like, noon. And, you know, and, and then his dad kind of got off. For it in a way because he'd been diagnosed with a brain tumor or something like that. So <clears throat> suspended sentence and probation. He didn't even really have to pay for it. But I mean, did I don't think Marvin's mother wanted to lose her son and then have her husband in jail. I mean, think about the kids and the grandkids and all that. So very odd, sad ending to Marvin, right when it looked like maybe he was coming back back on top. Yeah, and, and the thing that now that I'm thinking about this too, the thing that kind of stunk for us. In, in the early 80s was that at that point in time, the social conscience was very different. Mm. Nobody really wanted to hear that. It was the 80s. You know, we're all here to party. Everybody's having a good time. Right. You know, everything's cool. And then so to, to this, I think this record kind of got pushed out and away because people really didn't want to, didn't want to see the things that were still happening then. It, it was just like, okay, you know, we got through Vietnam. We got disco funkiness and then into the 80s and everybody was, every, everything is cool, right? And not really. And then to your point, yeah, when sexual healing was not, I mean, it's a great song, but not for child. Yeah, not for 10-year-olds, right? I think it did great <laughs> on the R&B and soul charts, but and, and was a popular song as well, but yeah. you know, it wasn't going to register with us. And then by the late 80s, when protest songs were coming back, now it was coming out through hip-hop and rap, and you hear stuff like 911 is a joke, fight the power, and fight right. the police. 
and, and, and stuff like that, then that's, although we like that kind of stuff, it responded some huge backlash to it, right? It's like, you can't say right. fuck the police. You know, we got to crack down on these people. Whereas no one was looking to crack down on Marvin Gaye in 71 for pointing this stuff out because it was the way he did it. The soulfulness, the way he wrote his songs, and the way they were delivered could register with people. Whereas if you're 50 years old and you hear, fuck the police, you're like, whoa, yeah, no, we got to stop this. That's that's not kosher. But yeah, what's going on? People can relate to that. What's happening, brother? Save the children. These are universal right. themes. I mean, like you said, you could you could hear what's going on coming out of your parents' hi-fi, right? Yeah. You could not hear NWA. They were not going to let you play that no way. in the house. No, if they found out I had it, it wouldn't be in the house anymore. You know? Right. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, we used to have to listen to that in the parking lot in somebody's <laughs> out of somebody's tape deck with the windows up. Yeah, just just a different time. And and going back to, I really wonder how if he were still here today, how he would have reacted to and and kind of maybe taken a little more own not ownership. But it, it kind of would it they would have focused on him more with what's what's the events that are happening today that very much echo what he sang about all those years ago. And what's kind of cool is that in 1972, so a year after this comes out, he plays a show at the Kennedy Center, and okay. he, you know he, he starts off with it. There's a medley of stuff that you would know, like "That's the Way Love Is," "Heard It Through the Grapevine," "You're All That I Need to Get By," you know, "Pride and Joy." You know, all the stuff that he did in the 60s. Kind of does a medley of that that goes like 13, 15 minutes, something like that. Then he gets into basically playing most all of what's going on in its entirety. Not in order, which is good, I think. Letting him play this whole thing to an audience there and having some stage dialogue in between that kind of explains what's going on, what he was feeling that. That was, the, I guess, the, the 2001 deluxe edition. So I, I didn't have that. I just had the kind of the original album. But it's cool that that's out there and that he did that. He was able to do that. Because you figure Washington, D.C., you do a protest song, Nixon's the president. I don't know about that going down, but it did. It's a classic and right on for him for getting it done. Yeah, and, and basically just sneaking it past people. And, and I think that was that's the big thing of this whole deal. It's, it's how you deliver the message. Then you can get it to more people in kind of a with a spoonful of sugar here with these. Just the, like we were talking about before, the musicianship. The vocal stylings, and I think that's really what it comes down to. Just take take away everything that he was trying to say. Just the fact that that he could sing the way that he could was just an immense talent. And then to write all of this on top of it, it is something that I just don't think we have anymore. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I mean, a lot of people don't even make new records anymore just because of the expense of making them and the fact that then nobody buys them. They just kind of swipe them on the internet. Jeff Downs had a great tweet about how I really don't like the fact that you just put our brand new album, which is on the charts, you just recorded and uploaded all to YouTube so everybody can listen through. That's BS, man. You know, yeah. you're killing artists you, and there's no need to do that. And I'm in total agreement with him on that. So a lot of would-be great musicians aren't even doing that. And then if you're not a prominent solo artist, which Marvin Gaye obviously was, that's how he could get this done. But if you're not a prominent solo artist, you're not going to get anybody to get behind you to make this kind of a record these days. Right? right? Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, they're not even going to back you to do it. And you're not going to be able to get an orchestra and all these people without some kind of financing. So it's it's. I'm glad he did it at the time he did because nobody could do it today. And, and I'm glad, too, that the estate sued and won, what's his name, Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams. Because mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, right, you're, you, you ripped this off from the estate of Marvin Gaye. And so when you're uh, gonna pay, correct, correct. If you're gonna use it, you're gonna pay for it. And that was, I think, that was George Clinton from Funkadelic. That's his whole thing: is I can't stop you, but you better give me credit for it. Right. You better tell everybody where it came from. And to me, that's. I mean, I understand that it's money. I get that, and you're gonna have to part with it. But you have to at least say. I mean, that could, to me, that could have gone completely differently. If let's face it, it wasn't Robin Thicke. Mm -hmm. uh, it was Pharrell. If he'd have just said, you know, what, that was the greatest song I've ever heard. I just loved it so much i wanted to use it you pay him it would have been completely different but to try Absolutely. and pretend that you didn't come on i know 
Come on. So, yeah, I, I'm happy that, that that case, I believe they won that case, and I believe they won, at least the judge awarded them a pretty significant amount of money. So, that, good for them. Yeah, it was like between 7 and $10 million or something yeah. big like that. And, I mean, look, his estate's got to be worth a ton as far as these songs still get played, his records still sell. His likeness isn't huge like an Elvis Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, Marilyn Monroe or somebody like, or Bob Marley. God, think of the money Bob Marley makes on his likeness in death. is unbelievable. But his estate still sells, and he's got grandkids, of course, now. So I'm glad they'll be taken care of because of his his talent was special. And, and to kind of transition from just that Motown hit factory, hey, look at me, I'm the clean-cut kid with the great songs, to be someone who's like, nah, brothers, we, we need to do something. We need to lead our people out of this mess. And, and let's just take a look at this to eventually even in the 80s he was going back to being a soul pop guy again where he could get back on the radio it's like yeah who knows what he could have accomplished if maybe he hadn't come home to intervene that afternoon yeah and and, and if he had had some maybe some peace in his life somewhere like some kind of stability mm-hmm. uh, either you know financially or emotionally well, financially and yes correct like with, with a somebody who would just he had just he could have stuck with for a while yeah. I, don't, I don't know why any of those the, the second marriage didn't work out but it's got to be tough when you marry somebody who is famous and has a lot of money I, I would imagine that you're always kind of thinking to yourself like why are you really here are you here because you love me or are you here because you love the lifestyle and being associated with me and then there was the whole thing about how it, he he put the e on the end of his name because he thought people would think that he was actually gay or or is that right know, question his sexuality that's what i read okay. and then my whole thing is if that was a big of a deal why don't you call yourself like marvin you know star or right. marvin anything rockefeller you want. or right. something yeah, yeah. so it, I, I think that he, he had a lot of even though he was a a very famous person i think he had a lot of insecurities that he carried around with him at, during his life yeah not like we said if his dad was hard on him when he was a kid then he goes to be Barry Gordy's little guy Barry's puppet and married one of his daughters and adopted Barry's granddaughter from his knocked up 16 year old daughter told him what to sing and how to dress and how to look gets addicted to drugs has depression gets divorced twice has IRS and money issues it's like god when is this guy going to catch a break finally in the 80s yeah now in the 80s he has a better record deal His albums are back in the chart. No, now he's murdered. So totally tragic figure, probably one of the most tragic figures in the history of rock. But he has a legacy, which is worth remembering. 50 years on, this album is not only does it sound just incredible, but the messages are spot on for what we need today. Yeah. Yeah, just not really ahead of his time because he was in the time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, something that is unfortunately timeless. You you would have thought we we could have gotten some of this stuff taken care of in 50 years but just keeps circling around and around and around. So yeah, I, I would be I would be very interested to hear his take on modern society. Uh, but unfortunately, he's he's gone the way of so many other people that we talk about on this. Just, you know, it, they had a, a great career, but just a tragic personal life. I guess it's be careful what you wish for because it might just come true. <laughs> Well, that wraps up our take on Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, a timeless classic that is also, at this point in time, very timely. Beautiful music, beautifully written, with a strong message about our society and the environment, which we wish we didn't need now. We wish this was something we resolved back in the day. Hopefully it's not something that goes on forever, but it is something that goes on now. There's still a lot of inequality. There's still a lot of racial conflict, and the environment is still being plundered. I don't care which side of the political lines you fall on. We have to preserve our earth, and we have to take care of each other, and that's what I think Marvin was singing about more than anything on this record. 50 years ago, it makes as much sense then as it does today. So I hope you enjoy that one as part of our lead up to our 50th show. It's another record enjoying its 50th anniversary this year. We're going to have more of that next week as we visit the Who's Who's Next, maybe the best record they ever did, maybe one of the best records of all time, and a little review of my opportunity to see Bruce Dickinson speaking live. More than just speaking, he's acting, he's performing, he's entertaining, and we'll talk all about that on episode 48. As usual, folks, did I get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point entirely? Hey, let us know. You can tweet us or DM us at Ugly underscore 
werewolf or at actionjack72. And of course, you can check out all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. Make sure you subscribe anywhere you get your podcast: Google Play, Amazon, Apple, Spotify, most anywhere you get your podcast. Action and I appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate you listening. Please send us your ideas on which shows and artists, which records you want us to review, and maybe we'll get to them here. And if you're enjoying the show, hey, go out and give us a nice review somewhere on any of those places that you get your podcast. Podchaser is good. Good Pods is good. Anywhere that will help us find more listeners like you who love rock and roll. So until next time, rock and rollers all over the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.